Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. I'm not just a wife, just to say. <laughs> but I mean, it's an honor to be one. Um, also, I really just love these mics so much. I don't preach often enough that the novelty ever wears off for me. So the rate at the moment is still good for me because it's still really special. Um, <clears throat> i just pop my water there. I have a bit of a sore throat, so I might drink copious amounts of water as I preach. So I'm really sorry for all the awkward pauses that I'm going to leave. Um, but it's yeah wonderful to be here this morning and to be continuing our series on faithful presence. Um, I'm really loving it. Um, admittedly, I've been sick for like quite a lot of it, but I've listened to um, a few of the talks, and I was here last week for the Crown Jewel talk, of course, Liam's. Um, no, but what I've heard, I've just really loved, and even just, um, is this okay, by the way, or is my earring? Move it away from me, okay, is that better? Okay, we don't take it off, I mean, um, don't take it away from me. <laughs> I'm actually quite a shallow person in a lot of ways. Um, so even just reflecting on this, um, um, <clears throat> thinking about how we are in many ways um, exiles in the context and in the culture that we live in um, as Christians, I just found really encouraging and really kind of strengthening to the reality of the context and the world that we live in. Um, so basically, the series is considering how um, we in London, in the West, are um, living in what's been coined a post-Christian, the post-Christian age. Um, so the West used to be, Western countries used to be um, Christian countries. Um, all of, a lot of our laws and governments and um, morality and values were um, underpinned by uh, the Christian faith. And Christian faith was the dominant religion. It was completely cool and great to be a Christian and acceptable and families wanted you to be Christians. Um, now, if you're a Christian here today and you live in the West, uh, I don't need to tell you that that that's no longer the case. We are no longer in the majority. In fact, we are, as many people have said throughout the series, very, very much in the minority. And not only are we in the minority, but we are in a culture and in a climate that is becoming increasingly secular. So kind of believing in some ways the opposite of what we believe, um, believing that there is no God, that there is nothing more than the physical world that we see around us. And not only that, but we are in this culture, in this climate, and in this highly digital, um, digitalized world, where now through our devices, through our phones, that we're all glued to, we get endlessly bombarded with the values and the narratives and the messaging of that culture. In fact, I don't think we all realize just how steeped in it we really are. If you just think for a moment how much time you spend reading the news on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, most of that content is not coming from a place of believing in God and wanting to build up your faith, but is actually um, mainly uh, communicating the very opposite. So we too are exiles, aren't we, in our context, in our worlds, in our workplaces, our schools, our universities. And um, 
And the series is really acknowledging that that brings with it some very real pressures and challenges as we seek to follow Jesus in this world and be disciples and uh, speak about him as we seek to raise uh, children who are disciples of Jesus. It's not easy. But what I love about this series is that it's showing us that this is reminding us that this is not a new experience for Christians. It's not a new experience for the church. And I mean, I found that really helpful to think about because when I was little, in our generation, when we were children, it was actually much more acceptable to be a Christian. It was much more valued and respected as a faith. And in our very lifetime, we've seen such a shift and you can see the trend going in that way way. But, um, and I think I can feel very alarmed and scared and overwhelmed and like I don't know how to handle the world that we live in and, and how to kind of go forward in it. But so encouraging to think that actually most of the Bible um, is showing us how uh, Christians have lived in minorities and teaching us how to follow Jesus as an exile. So uh, the theme of exile actually runs through the whole Bible. So up till now, we've been learning about Daniel. And um, of course, he was um, an Israelite at a time when uh, the Israelites had been taken from their land and brought into exile in Babylon. So they're kind of essentially political exiles, and they were living as slaves in Babylon and having to serve Babylon. Um, <clears throat> But actually then um, the people of God go on to be exiles many, many times under many more kingdoms and rulers and are persecuted over and over and over. And then in the New Testament, actually the, the, the term Babylon is, um, is used to refer to, um, I got this um, really helpful definition from uh, a video in the Bible Project called, and it says Babylon has come to symbolize any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatry redefinitions of good and evil. When I heard that definition of Babylon, I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. I'm sure it sounds familiar to you too. I think we can safely say that we are currently living under a form of Babylon. And interestingly, even uh, the term is used a lot in the New Testament. So, for example, uh, the book we're going to be looking at today, 1 Peter, Peter um, says that he's writing from Babylon. Um, but we know that at that time, Peter was in Rome. So he's actually referring to Rome as Babylon because it fulfills um, the definition that I read out earlier. So this Sunday, we are going to be moving away from the Old Testament and the story of Daniel, and we're going to be looking at uh, moving into the New Testament, which I think will be for the rest of the series. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to be in 1 Peter 2. And interestingly, actually, the um, 1 Peter even starts with addressing the book to uh, God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which would have been Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So these are Christians who are scattered, and he's calling them exiles because they're scattered into various um, uh, regions and uh, various unjust um, governments and rulers. They're experiencing persecution. Many of them would have been experiencing perse persecution at the time. And... Um, and many of them, most of them were um, of non-Jewish heritage, so they didn't have kind of a family line and a heritage of faith. They were very new into the Christian faith, and so he is writing to these kinds of Christians. So I think we can learn a lot. <clears throat> 
I will be reading just two verses that I'm going to be focusing on this morning. And so it's 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'll read it now. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Such a beautiful couple of verses. I actually found this preach really easy to write because I just think that they're incredibly inspiring and beautiful and there's so much that we can draw out of it. But I'm going to draw out two main um, questions that I think Peter is answering or two instructions that he's giving to these Christians who are actually in many ways a lot like us. And the two questions are what they are to do now as followers of Jesus in exile, scattered. And the second is who they are now. So starting with what they're called to do. So um, the main thing that I, the the main doing that I see in this verse is actually um, when Peter calls them a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. Well, to explain, to go into the concept of priests and priesthood, I want to uh, explain something which is uh, very obvious, but it will help us to really understand the role of a priest. Um, So I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like a massive disconnect between your Christian life, so uh, your time with people here at church, worshiping him, you're free, you you might lift your hands, you might clap and cry, you might uh, also privately read your Bible, be in a connect group, and you have this active living Christian life where God is very real to you and you have a real relationship with him. And then, you know, you walk out the streets onto Clapham Road and most people don't know what you're talking about. If you talked about God, they haven't had an experience of God. They don't know God and therefore they wouldn't really understand what you're talking about. In fact, if someone were to uh, walk in off the street and join us at the back, which isn't an impossibility this morning, they would probably um, be watching and thinking, this is odd. Um, I know this because I once did do that. And if you are here off the street, you're very welcome. Um, but I um, remember not, not having ever had an experience of God and walking into a church a bit like this one. So um, when I was a teenager, uh, my family, we were living in Ireland and um, we were Catholic. Uh, we'd never as a family had, I would say, an experience of God. Um, we didn't have an understanding of the gospel. And um, my mom went on an alpha course um, in this small Methodist church in our little town in um, south of Dublin. And um, she had an experience of God and she came to um, a realization or um, a revelation that God was real and that he loved her and, and she gave her life to Jesus. And just a little plug, the alpha course really does change lives. Um, it's changed actually my life because it changed my mom's life. So please, um, I'm also very emotional this morning. I cried a lot during the worship. I was like, no, Lord, not today. But... Um, <laughs> But with tears, I implore you, do invite people to Alpha or go on Alpha if you have questions. It is a really, really great way to explore. Um, but So my mom became a Christian um, and then forced my teenage sisters and I to go to church, which we, you know, didn't love, but I'm very grateful for now. Um, but I remember sitting at the back of the church and 
literally, I was like cackling with my older sister. We thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. We're like, are these people singing, I love you, Jesus, and raising their hands? We thought it was literally so funny. Of course, a few months later, I had my own experience and also gave my life to Jesus. But when you haven't had that experience of God, when you don't know God, it doesn't make any sense. It's just really weird and odd, and you can't quite grasp it unless you've experienced him for yourself. And so our two kind of realities remain so divided, don't they? I feel that way. I go into work or into the different settings that I'm in, um, the like my daughter's school, whatever it is, and it just feels so disconnected from my Christian life and the reality that I um, have of God, the the experienced reality I have of God. And so it's almost like we have these two circles, like God and the world, and they're completely, um, there should be a slide, which was like the height of my technical ability. (laughs) Not joking. Uh, I almost had to wake Johnny up last night to help me do that. (laughs) But I managed, because I'm more than a wife. Um, I'm my own woman who can make circles and write in them. (laughs) But it's like there are two separate kind of categories and they rarely kind of mesh in our lives. They, that's how I feel anyway so often. Like, um, I, I can't quite bring my experience of one into the other. But um, actually, what a priest is, is a go-between between these two separated realities. So a priest is, um, kind of connects those two, those two realities. We are a go-between, between God and the world that doesn't understand him because they don't know him. Now, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the high priest because Jesus is the one who made that pathway possible at all. Um, Before that, high priests in Israel had to go and make an atoning sacrifice every year and atone for the sins of Israel and make a way for them to continue meeting with God. And it says that when Jesus made an atonement, he atoned by giving his his very body, his, his very soul, his self as the ultimate sacrifice and it makes an end for our need for high priest. And now the way is open forever, never again to be closed off to God and we get to be like mini priests following Jesus across that barrier, across the way. And so our role is to experience God, to know him, to know who he is, to know the high priest, to know Jesus, to uh, understand the Bible, to study it, and then to go into the world and say, hey, this is my experience of God. This is who I found him to be. This is my experience of reading and studying the Bible. Um, This is how the Christian worldview actually makes loads of sense to me. And we all will mediate in different ways. For some of us, we're very intellectual and we're very good at explaining the worldview side and um, the philosophical side. And for others of us, we simply just need to talk about our lives and our personal experiences of God. And... The second thing about a priest is that it's not a um, it's not like a solitary role. It's not um, like an academic or an accountant or something where you're in a room by yourself with information processing it. Peter's not saying go and study God and share it with your church and your community. Although you know that's great, but he's saying be a priest. A priest 
traditionally would go into the community. I remember um, <clears throat> when we, uh, my family, <laughs> we did move a lot. We were living in Italy when I was very young, and we went to a local Catholic church. And I remember this old Italian priest visiting our home. Priests go into homes to visit families in the community. Priests go into hospitals. They go into schools. They go into prisons. They go anywhere where the people are to bring God into those spaces. They are going out. They're not staying in waiting for someone to knock on the church door. They go out into the community, out into actual homes and drink cups of teas with families. They go where people are hurting and need prayer and need help and have questions. They go out. Now, just a quick caveat, and that's that God doesn't, thankfully, need us to be priests. It's not like he's so desperate to get his message out to the world, and, he's, and it's all up to us, and it's all down to us as these little mini priests to get the word of God out. Um, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And in fact, um, there are lots of stories um, of uh, countries where mini priests are not allowed to go out into the community, and the high priest comes himself. So in a lot of closed nations at the moment, we're seeing a lot of people who have had no access to the Bible and no access to Christians having dreams about Jesus and him revealing himself to them in dreams and then they go and find this, the churches. So it's not as though God can't do it without us, but this is an invitation to be part of this beautiful plan of redemption and rescue that God has for the world. It's, uh, it's an invitation to be part of what he is already doing without us anyway. So if you feel in your workplace or in your community or um, wherever you spend your week that you're in exile, you feel alone, maybe you're the only Christian in the context that you are in, um, be encouraged because there is an exciting and purposeful role for you to play in that context. Now, I, it is exciting and beautiful. Um, I think so. Um, that's why I love these verses. I think it's a beautiful vision of what we're called to do. Um, but I don't know about you, but um, I also found it very, I find it very overwhelming, and it can be intimidating and scary. So um, just this last month, Maddie, my daughter, started reception. So whoa, it's my first introduction to the world of school, which is actually very crazy. I did not realize that I was basically going back to school. So there's all these, <laughs> Johnny's heard me talk about this so much. Um, it's just crazy. Like there's all these social dynamics going on and friendship groups forming and some people get asked to coffee and some don't. And it's like, you're literally back in school as the parents of the kids. Um, and you're there like every morning and every afternoon to pick, drop them off and pick them up. So you spend like actually quite a lot of time around these people. Um, and it's really brought up in me this fear. Um, being basically back in high school, I'm confronted again with like, oh, I actually really want to be liked here. Like, I don't want to be the weird mom or the weird Christian family who gets completely misunderstood and misrepresented and judged. And I don't want people to think I'm something I'm not, or I don't want people to reject me for who I am. And all of these fears have come back for me. And I think we feel them all the time, don't we? When we're the minority, and especially when we're in new contexts where we haven't found our place yet. 
But the thing is, uh, fitting in and being liked is not my calling. My calling isn't to be liked by everybody in that school. My calling isn't to be understood by everybody in that school. My calling is to be a royal, full of dignity, full of purpose, and full of honor priest in that community to declare the praises of him who's called me personally out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And that is your calling at work. That is your calling in your neighborhood. That is your calling with your friends, not to be always understood and loved by everybody and the most popular, but to be a bringer of the truth of his wonderful light and your personal story of your journey from darkness into wonderful light. The verse 10 says, once we were not a people, we know what it's like to not be a people of God, but now we are. Once we'd not received this mercy, and now we have, and we can tell that story. So, I mean, it's, um, it's actually, you have to be, I think, very secure, don't you, to be that kind of a person, to carry that kind of a calling well and, um, and yeah, and to, to do what we feel God's called us to do. We have to be very secure people. Um, so how do we become those kind of secure people? Well, um, we're going to move on to the second question that Peter is, the second thing that Peter is instructing the Christians. So we said what they're called to do, what they are to do in exile. And the second thing is who they are as they're in exile. And who they are is a great key to how we can be, how we can do what we're called to do, how we can be that secure. And it is a people belonging to God, a people belonging to God. To be that brave, to be that courageous, to be that secure in yourself that you don't need to be liked by everybody, you don't need to be understood by everybody. You have to know who you belong to. Belonging is like one of the most primal human needs. So um, I'm sure many of you have heard that babies, one of the most fundamental needs they have is to know an adult claims them as their own. So they have to have the same adult coming to them like all the time, constantly. That's why they cry constantly. That's why they're so beautiful and cute so that we stare at them and we want to talk to them and we want to spend all our time just gazing at them in bed. Oh, such wonderful days. Um, <laughs> and because the baby needs to know that some I belong to someone. Someone has claimed me as their own. And um, even as adults in a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, <clears throat> you know, you have the basic uh, need of uh, physical uh, like uh, food and water to physically survive and then shelter so that you're not in the elements so that you can also physically survive. But the very first emotional, um, psychological need is actually belonging, belongingness. It's to know that you belong somewhere. Human beings cannot exist in isolation or they don't thrive in isolation. They have to belong to someone or to a group of people. And uh, so you absolutely have to have belonging. You can't be like belonging neutral. You can't be like, I'm not going to belong anywhere. I'm just going to kind of do my solo thing. That's it, your heart and your soul will will just gravitate towards something that it can find its belonging in. So whether it's, I don't know, work or family or 
uh, yeah, your career or a relationship, whatever it is, you will find belonging somewhere or something will claim you for itself. That's just how it works. But God wants you to find your deepest, deepest sense of belonging in him. Because when you have, when your soul finds its deepest sense of belonging in God, you won't be so needy. You don't have to search, trying to fit in, trying to see, oh, where can I shelter, basically? Where can I feel safe? Maybe this group of people will accept me. Maybe these friends will be my shelter. They'll be the place where I belong. And you'll constantly be changing that, too, because human beings are fickle, and this world is passing. Money is fleeting, and that stuff comes and goes, so your soul will constantly be needy and looking for something to belong to and someone to belong to. But God is not fleeting. He is not shifting. He is not going anywhere. He is the ultimate, solid, faithful, secure, everlasting, eternal, unchanging being where you can belong for all eternity. And the Bible says nothing, nothing in all creation can take you away from the love of God that is in Jesus. And that is how we can be exiles in this world who are secure, confident, brave, declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. If we find our deepest sense of belonging in God, we walk into any context sure of who we are. We don't need anything from anyone apart from God saying who we are in him. And this belonging happens, um, well, going back to babies, how does belonging happen? Through connection. So the adult needs to look at the child, look at the baby, lock eyes with them, sing to them, um, touch them, hold them. It's a lot of time, a lot of investment of time, a lot to create that connection. And it's the same with God. So we need daily connection with him to remind ourselves where we belong. If I'm on Monday morning, on Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you want to go into wherever you go secure. You have to start your day by reminding yourself where you belong so that wherever you go, you won't be looking for it because you're going with a sense of belonging because daily our souls are looking for belonging. Every day we're looking for somewhere to belong. We want to feel safe. So we have to start our days connecting with God. Oh yes, God, you love me. You've, because of Jesus, you've eternally um, accepted me. You've forgiven me. I belong to you. I'm safe. I'm secure. And you go into your day like that then we can be all that God calls us to be in all kinds of contexts. And um, <clears throat> very lastly, I don't have a clock, by the way. Am I okay for time? For, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, very lastly, just I, uh, it's also really obvious, isn't it, when you read the passage that Peter's not saying, you are a chosen person, you're a royal priest, you are a holy citizen, you're a person who belongs to God. No, he's saying you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So actually, not only we primarily need to know we belong to God, but then also we need to be part of the people of God. We need to know that we are part of the people of God. So if you feel lonely in uh, and like an exile, if you feel lonely as a Christian in your world, next time you do, just remember this room and all of the brothers and sisters around you who are also um, day in, day out, trying to be priests in exile. You are not alone. You are doing this with other people, with brothers and sisters who um, are part of the people of God. Not only that, but there are... Um, not only Stockwell, but we've got five other services all over London, Christchurch. You can think of all of those people trying to be priests in an exile context. Uh, we have hundreds of churches in London meeting this morning, worshiping God, contending for God to come and bring his wonderful light into this darkness. We have churches all over the UK meeting this morning, worshiping God, praying for this nation, wanting to be priests in this exile context, all over Europe, all over North America, Canada. There are Christians this morning meeting, praying, contending, going into their workplaces, wanting to be priests in an exile context. There are Christians meeting in underground churches this morning. There are brothers and sisters. There are exiles. Their lives are at risk. They are meeting. They're contending. They're trying to be priests in an exile context. We are not alone. It's not just about us here in London. God is doing something globally that we are a part of. It says that the verse says we are a royal priesthood. We are royal. Royals are only connected by blood and marriage, aren't they? You have to be part of the family to be royal. And you are connected by the blood of Jesus, by our trust in his sacrifice. You're part of a family. And we are citizens we're exiles here, but we're citizens of a nation. We belong somewhere, and that is God's holy nation. You are called to be a priest and a mediator to the world that God has placed you in, together with your brothers and sisters all over the world doing the same thing. Maybe the band could um, come back up. just wanted to mention that um, uh, the verse... Again, reflecting the verse saying, um, once we were not a people, but now we are. Once we'd not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. And maybe you're here in this room and you're like, oh, well, I'm not part of that people. I'm not part of this global mission or whatever this is. I'm uh, here observing on the outside. All of us were once observing and had to make a choice. And God's mercy is extended to you. The Bible says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to know who he is, to experience him, to find their ultimate belonging in him, and to be part of what he's doing in this world, which we hear a lot about what's going wrong with the world, how the world is being destroyed. God is not destroying this world. God is coming to redeem, to reclaim, to make everything sad come untrue. 
And that is what we get to be a part of. And if you'd like to be a part of that, God's mercy extends to you. And I'd encourage you again, consider going on Alpha this week or talk to someone today, pray with someone. We would love to talk to you. I'll pray and then we'll worship. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you for that sentence and that song that we sang earlier. Then the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not yield, shall not faint. And Father, I want to thank you that no matter what is in the future for this country, this culture, this world, that this gospel truth of old shall not yield, shall not faint. And we pray right now that you would pour out your love on us, God, because we need your love. We need to know you love us. We need to know we're safe and sheltered in your love to be strong, to be courageous, to be secure, and to speak your message of love and peace to a broken world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come light the flame.